if you guys don't know me, my name is Haley, and I'm... Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyways, I'm one of the many Chi Alpha interns. You've probably seen the bajillions of us scattered around. Um, would you guys mind if I introduced you to my family? Fine, I'm going to introduce them anyways, so just get over it. Um, so I recently got married this summer to my awesome husband, Jason. Woo! Yeah. Isn't he cute? <laughs> but yeah. Did you guys know that when you get married, your family just kind of gets bigger? Yep. It's kind of weird, and it seems so obvious, but it's still, like, strange to me. It still seems like, what? What happened? Anyways, I come from a family of four that has continued to grow over the years. As you can see, there are six of us instead of four, so that's kind of weird. <laughs> so first it was just me, my brother Tyler, who's the other blonde one in our family now, my mom Kathy, and my dad Jack. And then, during high school, we unofficially adopted my best friend Bree. And she's the professional looking one at the end. <laughs> she's a real adult, it's kind of great. And then we added Jason this summer, so we're just a nice family of six now. Um, but I love my family. They were what made me into the woman that I am today. And can I tell you guys a story from when I was in high school? Cool. So I've always been a shy person, and when I was little, like little, little, I would never talk to strangers, like not ever. I would always hide behind my mom when we were meeting new people. But thankfully, as I grew up, I got better at socializing and grew out of being terrified of every new person that I met. Thank goodness. I'm so glad I did, or else I definitely wouldn't be up here speaking to you tonight. <laughs> um, something I didn't really grow, up, grow out of as I entered high school was my fear of phone calls. Yep, yep, yep. Does anyone else have that fear? I hear a lot of like, yeah, so. I know it's pretty common nowadays. It's kind of weird, but... I'm going to be honest, phone calls still make me really uncomfortable. I think I have this like irrational fear that I like won't know what to say or I'll sound stupid or something. So it's kind of inconvenient. But my mom knew that I had this fear of phone calls. So when I was in high school, she would take every opportunity she got to help me overcome my fear. And I hated that. It was the worst. Whenever she would take, um, whenever we would order takeout, she would always ask me if I would order. And it wasn't in that like mom way where like, honey, will you please like order takeout? It was like the commanding way. It's like, you need to order takeout. <laughs> but yeah, I would get so nervous and I would give my mom any excuse I could think of that of why I couldn't make this call. So I would tell her I had homework, I had to go to the bathroom, and sometimes I would just go and hide. I just wouldn't even say anything to her. So that's awkward. But at one point, my mom got so tired of my excuses that she said that we wouldn't have dinner unless I called for takeout. Yeah, my mom was a smart lady. <laughs> and obviously, I wanted to have dinner. I was a teenager, and I was hungry. I was growing. I swam a lot, so I was just like burning off all those calories. So after agonizing for about 15 to 20 minutes about this phone call, and obviously I had to like prepare beforehand. I had to be like, okay, what are we exactly ordering? Write it down. What do I say when the guy answers? Do I say hello? Yeah, all those things. Had to think about it. 
So I built up my courage, and I did it. I called the pizza place, and I waited anxiously as the phone rang. And when the guy answered, I was thankfully able to coherently order a pizza for me and my mom. Woo! Yeah. I did it. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, I was able to learn this skill because my mom was so persistent. But as a fearful teenager, I didn't really understand why I needed to know how to make phone calls. I didn't understand how important it was for me to be able to make phone calls. We had texting and apps for that, right? I know, we did back then. I wasn't that old, guys. <laughs> and I didn't understand why I needed to call people on the phone. It just seemed so archaic. And I thought it was really dumb, but thankfully my desire for pizza outweighed my fear, or else we wouldn't have had pizza. And my mom was able to have like a bigger view of like the future and like a bigger view of like my life than I did as a teenager. And that's one of the reasons why she like encouraged me to do this. She was trying to prepare me for the future when I wouldn't be living at home and I might be needing to order my own pizza. Or if I, I had to like, you know, call to get my car repaired like I did last week. <laughs> so I'm so grateful for my mom that she pushed me to learn this skill. Isn't that funny how we have a hard time understanding the things our parents tell us or teach us? In the story that we are looking at tonight, we'll see Noah, our main character, have a similar interaction with God. God knows the big picture that Noah doesn't. Noah knows this, so he listens and obeys God, like a faithful son. But before we get into this whole story, why don't we pray? Father God, I just thank you for this time we get to gather together and um, hang out with each other, to learn from your word, to learn from the stories of long ago of how you interacted with your people. I just pray that you would give us all like open hearts and open ears to really accept and hear what you have to say tonight to us. Just help me to be coherent, help me to speak your words and not my own. Um, yeah, and help us all to you know, just pay attention to your spirit and what you want to say. In your name we pray, amen. So like I said before we prayed, we're going to be looking at the story of Noah tonight. If you were here last week, you should be familiar with Cain and Abel's story. Brandon taught on that. Well, Noah's story is a little ways after Cain and Abel. It's actually a couple generations after their time. But the world isn't much better. In fact, I would say it got much, much worse. After Cain murdered Abel, the world kind of just went downhill and evil just abounded. So let's take a look at Genesis 6 and read verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he has made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now these verses are quite striking, aren't they? God uses some really strong words to talk about these people. These people were wicked, and their hearts were evil all the time. What does this even look like? When I think of wickedness and evil, I think of criminals, murderers, rapists, thieves, 
and all sorts of other bad people. These people only think about themselves, they want their own way, and don't care about anyone else. These were the people who inhabited the earth. And God's heart was so deeply troubled by this. Humans were the crown of his creation, beings that were made in his image. And he regretted making them. I know sometimes we have a hard time understanding how God could regret making humans, but let's take a minute to look at the situation from a different perspective. Think about your family for a second. You know your parents pretty well, right? Well, think, just think for a second if you and your siblings were really acting out, doing a bunch of horrible things, like doing drugs, stealing, arguing all the time, not listening to your parents, disobeying all their rules. How would you think your parents would feel? They would probably be really angry, right? I know my parents would be furious. But while your parents may be furious, they still love you and care about, care about you. Your parents only want what's best for you. And your parents know that there is only hurt and pain down the path that you're going. But they can't do anything about it. Because no matter what they do, you won't listen to them. You could probably imagine in this situation that your parents feel a lot, uh, uh, feel a lot like how God feels about the people of during Noah's day. This is why God is so angry and distraught. His children, every single one of them, are going down a path that leads to hurt and pain and death. This is why he decides the only way to stop this cycle of wickedness and evil is to destroy all of humanity. Now, I know this sounds a bit extreme, but thankfully it's not as bad as it sounds. There is one person that is listening to God. One person that is reflecting his image, and that's Noah. In verse 8, we read that Noah found favor with God. Noah is God's one hope for humankind, his only faithful child. But why did Noah find favor with God? What made Noah different from the other humans of his day? Let's take a look at verse 9, where we learn more about why Noah found favor with God. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Now let's define righteousness for a second. What does it really mean to be righteous? Well, the dictionary definition for righteousness is the quality of being morally right or justifiable. So Noah was morally right with God. Noah had a right relationship with him. He was following God's commands and was not wicked or evil. Noah was reflecting God's image, his love, his mercy, his kindness, to God's broken world. During this time when the entire world, the whole world, was against God, Noah was able to walk faithfully with him. Think about how tough this must have been. Noah didn't have anyone else who was faithfully walking with God like he was. He didn't have a church or a core group where he could talk through things and learn more about God with other people. He didn't have the written scriptures. All he had was God and his presence. Now think about if this was you. What if all your friends were doing evil, renouncing God and going their own way? What if you had no Chi Alpha, no core, no Bible? What would your faith look like? Would you be able to walk faithfully with God 
if nobody else was? This would be really hard, wouldn't it? But I don't think Noah just woke up one day and decided to become a righteous man. I think that he learned how to be a righteous man by walking faithfully with God daily. He was faithful in the small things. And over time, his relationship with God grew. And he was able to be more and more faithful. And we will see more of Noah's faithfulness as we go through the rest of his story. So let's take a look at Genesis 6, 14 through 22. Now we already know that God is going to destroy all the people of the earth. And God decides to do this using a flood. So God gives Noah specific instructions that he can save himself and his family. So let's look at that. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under, hev- under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So God has commissioned Noah to build himself a huge boat called an ark. And I don't know if you guys know what a cubit is, but I was like, what is that? So I thought (laughs) I would give you guys some references. So this boat is like big. Like we're talking one and a half football fields long and at least as tall as a four-story modern day house. There's some reference pictures up there. This is big. This is a big boat. But not only does God tell him to build this boat, He also tells Noah to gather up two of every type of animal and also to gather up every type of food and store that as well. Now, I know they probably don't have as much food as we do now, but that's probably still a lot of food. This is a huge project, isn't it? I know I would have had a hard time wrapping my brain around this if God told me to do all these things. Kind of like how I had a hard time understanding why my mom wanted me to learn how to make phone calls. But, like my mom, God knows the bigger picture. I mean, he knows more than my mom does, but, (laughs) you know. Um, He knows what's going to happen and that Noah will need this boat. And Noah is a faithful, obedient son. He recognizes that God is smarter than he is and that he knows everything. I'm sure Noah didn't grumble or avoid the task God gave him like I did with making phone calls. He trusted God and knew that no matter how much work it took or how hard it was going to be, in the end, it would be worth it. How well do you listen to God and faithfully do what he tells you? When you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to someone, do you? Do you pray about your future and ask God what he might want you to do? 
Or do you just make your own plans and ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Listening to God and doing what he says should be the pattern of our lives as children of God. Just like it was the pattern of Noah's life. So going on in this story, we continue to see Noah communicating with God almost about everything. And we see this when God tells Noah to enter the ark. Now at this time, the flood hasn't started yet. The boat is finished, and the animals are all rounded up, and the food is packed, but it's not raining yet. Even though it's not raining, Noah goes in the ark when God tells him. Noah doesn't need a physical sign from God to get in the ark. He just trusts God's word. And even when they got into the ark, it wasn't until seven days after they got in the boat that it even starts raining. They waited a week for the flood to come. Could you imagine being Noah? His neighbors must have been so confused. There Noah is, sitting with his whole family and a bunch of animals in a boat on dry land. Looks pretty weird. (laughs) There's no rain, no lake, no river. People must have thought he was crazy. They were probably like, oh, there goes crazy old Noah, thinking that the world's going to flood. It kind of reminds me of, like, the doomsday preppers that we see nowadays. It's probably the feelings that some of Noah's neighbors had towards him, like, what is he doing? (laughs) Yep. But as soon as it started raining, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. His neighbors probably weren't laughing then. And the world stayed flooded for 150 days. That's like half a year almost, guys. It's a long time. This is a long time to be stuck in an ark with your family and a bunch of animals, especially animals that potentially want to eat each other. I mean, your family might want to fight each other, but that's similar, I guess. (laughs) Also, just think of the smell. It would have been gross. This would not have been a fun place to be. I'm sure that Noah and his family wanted to get out of there as soon as they could, as soon as the flood was over. But we see in Genesis that after the 150 days, the water had receded some, and the ark eventually came to rest on some mountains. So there was some land. There was even some other mountaintops that were visible above the water. And yet, Noah doesn't get out. Let's look at Genesis 8, 6 through 19, and see what Noah does next. So, after 40 days, and these are 40 days after the 150 days of flooding, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth and back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent the dove out from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Now Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him 
By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Did you guys notice how patient Noah is? How long he waited to come out of the ark? There were so many signs that the water had receded, and yet he waited on the word of the Lord until he even set foot outside the ark. Noah trusted God so much that it was only after God gave him the go-ahead, a thumbs up, to leave the ark that Noah left. Would you be able to be as patient as Noah? I know I would have had a hard time. Sometimes I think we trust ourselves more than God. If Noah had trusted himself and not God, he would have probably gotten out of the ark er earlier. And who knows what would have happened. He might have let all the animals out and been like, oh, it's dry, but there might not have been any food. So the animals might have, like, turned on him. So that would have been bad. <laughs> but thankfully Noah knew that God knew better and was willing to wait for God's word. Do you trust God's word that much? Do you trust God enough to wait for his guidance and direction? I'm sure there are a lot of things in our life that we aren't talking to God about. But no matter how small the decision we have to make is, we should be talking to God about it. You should be talking to God about what major you should declare, if you should go on a date with that special someone, and what you, he would like to you to do after graduation. God knows more than we ever could, and we should trust him and be patient and wait for his guidance like Noah. Noah is God's reboot, and you can see why. Because he has been so faithful to God through everything, and he's trusted him in everything. But Noah wasn't perfect. He was human. He made mistakes. And if you read on in Genesis 9, you'll see how Noah ends up getting drunk and passing out naked in his tent. Not the wisest decision ever. But yeah, Noah messes up, just like we do. God knows that even his most faithful followers will mess up. He knows that we cannot earn righteousness. That's one of the reasons why he sent Jesus. Jesus was able to be totally obedient to God. He was the perfect embodiment of faithfulness. And he was even faithful enough to die. And we can have hope in this. We can have hope in Jesus. That even though we will mess up like Noah did, hopefully not exactly like Noah did, um, Jesus is the one who makes us righteous. We don't have to earn our righteousness. Through our faith in Jesus, we are made righteous. Not by building a boat, or being patient, or having all of our ducks in a row, or being a nice person, but through our faith in Jesus. 
In conclusion, we can learn a lot about what it looks like to live faithfully and follow God through Noah's story. We see Noah following God when no one else does, doing everything God commands him to do, even if it seems impossible or ridiculous. And we also see Noah wait patiently for God and his guidance. As we enter our worship time, I have some questions for us to reflect on. Question number one is, would you be able to follow God if nobody else was? In what small or big ways could you start being faithful to God? Question number two, do you faithfully listen to God and do everything that he commands you to? Pray about what might be holding you back from fulfilling God's commands. Thirdly is, do you trust God enough to wait for his guidance and direction? Pray for patience and the strength not to rush ahead of the Lord and his plans. Can I have the worship team come up at this time? And I'm going to pray to close us. Father, thank you that you have just provided so many great models for us to follow. You provided Jesus, who is the perfect model, and the one who makes us righteous. Thank you that we can't earn our righteousness, that through faith in Jesus, you have given it to us. I pray that you would help us all to come to become more faithful to you and to your word. Help us to trust you more and to listen to what you have to say for, uh, to us and about our future. Thank you, Father, for this time we get to have together. And I pray that everybody's heart would be open as the worship team plays. In your name we pray. Amen.